Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to The Storytellers. Today, Laura Morelli is going to join me. She is a PhD from Harvard University, from, I'm sorry, the other one, Yale University. <laughs> She's an award-winning author and a bestseller of historical fiction. She has taught in both Italy and in the United States. She has shared her love of art and literature with Ted Ed, National Geographic Traveler, Italy Magazine, CNN, and so much more. Her award-winning fiction includes The Night Portrait, The Gondola Maker, and her latest masterpiece, The Last Masterpiece. Laura, thank you for joining me at the Storyteller's Microphone. Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for this invitation. I'm, I'm thrilled to talk with you. Well, I love it when a plan comes together. And in preparing for today, I was so impressed that you actually had a plan for your writing career at the age of four. <laughs> Well, I don't know if that it was so much of a plan. I mean, wouldn't we all love to go back to the beginning and and think that we had a better plan maybe than the one that we uh, that we ended up with? I mean, life is very circuitous, but sometimes I think it makes an interesting circle because uh, as you mentioned, when I was a very little kid, I already had the idea in my head like many writers, I think that I wanted to write books. I used to be just obsessed with the book as a physical object, you know, and, and loved to turn pages. And I used to make books with cutting out, you know, paper and stapling them together. So then I had this idea in my head that I wanted to be a writer or maybe an archaeologist. And so I sort of went down the path of studying art history. I went as far as I could go, but I still had that uh, kind of urge to write more creatively than I could do within academic circles. And so it sort of came back around again when I started uh, turning to historical fiction. So I love that you were able to marry two of your big loves, the love of art and art history with historical fiction. And, you know, any good historical fiction, I think, uh, brings the reader on a wild adventure and also introduces us and teaches us. And you do that amazingly in each of your novels. Talk to us about The Last Masterpiece, your most recent one. Yeah, thank you. I've got a copy of it right here, <laughs> The Last Masterpiece. It is a story that is set during an 18-month period during World War II. It takes place up and down the Italian peninsula and there are two protagonists, one American and one Austrian. They obviously are on opposite sides of the war. And the story revolves around the looting of a couple of hundred paintings from the Uffizi galleries and, and the Pitti Palace, the Florentine museums, and um, looking at what happened to these stolen works of art from the two opposite sides of the war, the Allied side and the Axis side. Um, we, we follow Josie on the American side. She's a whack. That's a member of the Women's Army Corps, these amazing women who signed up to follow just behind the front lines uh, during World War II. 
And then on the other side, we follow Ava, who is a documentary photographer. Um, both women's fates collide in Florence in the middle of the book. So um, that's the story. It's been a really wild ride from a research perspective. And uh, it's just uh, been a really fun book to put together. How did you pick their story? I know that you've brought to life not only the wax, which I'm so proud that you um, brought to mind, but also the Monuments Women. How did you pick this story? So this is an area that I've been fascinated with for a while. Um, many of my readers know that I write both in earlier periods as well as in the 20th century. My first foray into World War II is a book called The Night Portrait that takes us back and forth between the Italian Renaissance and World War II and revolves around the theft of one of Leonardo da Vinci's beautiful portraits of the lady with the ermine. And uh, later I wrote about the hiding of the Mona Lisa during World War II. And so this idea of uh, looting or stealing and then recovery and uh, studying the monuments men and women has been a theme of my fiction for the last few books that I've written. And so the last masterpiece really kind of uh, built on that research that I had already done for the um, for other books. And I, I, I currently just today, in fact, right before I got on the line with you, I just printed out my 2024 <laughs> book. I'm like, Oh, thank goodness it's done. But it also has um, some of the same themes and evolved from the same research. So for me, at least, a lot of times research on one book will sort of inform or lead to another story. And that's certainly what happened in this case. When you write not only from two perspectives, as you do in the last masterpiece, but also from different timelines, how do you in your head keep those things straight? So that's really one of the most fun things for me. I think I'm a very analytical person. And even though I, I don't really love math, I do use spreadsheets at the beginning of, an, of a, a fiction project. And I've, I'm an outliner. I like to kind of see how things begin and end and where things line up. And certainly when we're talking about two protagonists on opposite sides or we're talking about two eras that are as vastly different, let's say, as the Italian Renaissance and World War II, it's really important to find those connections between the two things because I think it can bring emotion and meaning and depth if you can actually locate and pinpoint these uh, places or times or characteristics that are similar between the two things. And so I'm constantly looking for patterns or similarities or places where these otherwise siloed bits of research or information could be um, put together or juxtaposed in some way. Oh, I love how you talk about that with finding those connections uh, really across centuries and across points of view as well. What have your characters taught you? It's one of my favorite questions to ask authors. You have so many different characters. Oh, you know, I think when it comes to especially really difficult periods of time in history, like um, World War II or even the Italian Renaissance, which, you know, produced objects of great beauty, but it was actually a very brutal time in history. 
Um, you know, I think when we look back in these difficult moments in history, we realize that often it's the actions of individual regular people like me and you who really can make a huge difference in the outcome and I, th I think that's one of the reasons why war stories continue to be popular in historical fiction is because I think it allows us to explore the choice impossible seemingly impossible choices that regular people sometimes have to make in these really difficult periods in history and that's for me what makes it an interesting character is to see um, if and how that character is going to rise to the challenge and what things they're going to struggle with that is, i think helps readers um, stay with the story and pulls a reader along. Certainly as a reader of historical fiction myself, I'm always turning the page to find out, well, how are they going to get out of this and what's going to happen next and what, what choice are they going to make that is going to make a difference in this situation? One of the things in your books, Laura, is you have a combination of real people from history and made-up people that obviously need to interact with them. How do you keep fidelity with those real people, the art people, for example, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo? Yeah, I, I, it's such a, a big burden for me. I know a lot of people, a lot of other authors write about um, real people in more recent decades, and my hat is off to them for, for taking that on because it is very intimidating to write about uh, real people, especially a, you know, a, a giant like Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo. Um, it's a bit easier to take license, I think, when the characters, when real characters are that far distant in the past. I mean, of course, no one knows what words exactly came out of their mouths in this particular situation. But um, my favorite thing to do in historical fiction is really to take uh, a fictional main character and place that character in a world that's as real as I can make it. And sometimes there are secondary characters, like in The Last Masterpiece, for example, who are real. And I take that on as a very serious burden to get the facts straight and make sure that, um, you know, if if I have a, a person in a location on a certain date, that that really did happen. And so I think readers who love historical fiction trust their novelists to um, at least get a lot of those historical facts correct and those, those, that historical context correct. I think that's one of the reasons why historical fiction readers come to the genre. They don't necessarily want to get hit over the head with a textbook, but they want to feel what it was like, um, even if it is a made-up story at the end. You are so in love with Italy, and I know you get there as often as you can. What is it like for you to walk those streets of Florence with a very different perspective than I probably did, or in any of the places you love in Italy? I went and I admired the art, but I get the sense from you the characters are so real to you that they must be walking alongside of you. Oh, well, thank you. I wish that were true. <laughs> You know, I think, true, <laughs> I think on the one hand, yes. I mean, I, 
you know, walk down the street where Lisa Giardini's house still stands. She was the, the model for the Mona Lisa, you know, and I walk down that little street, probably no one else around me realizes what's there and what it means. And I get chills and it is very real for me. Um, you know, I did a walking tour, an audio tour um, for Bardium that where people walk in the footsteps of Michelangelo from the cathedral workyard where he sculpted the David until into the Palazzo Vecchio where it was erected in 1504. That is very real to me, it's very alive because it really did happen that way, it unfolded in that way. It's an incredible story, just those, those few days when the sculpture made, made its way from one part of town to the next. So yes, on the one hand, it is very real and those characters are very real for me. But on the other hand, I find that whenever I start a new project, it's a completely new lens um, to through which to see a place that, that I may know fairly well. Um, for example, when I started the research for the last masterpiece, um, I was in Florence for a while and I met with several experts who really know the World War II history of the city very well. And they were able to pull back the veil on things that I had walked by a million times in my life and had never seen before. And so that's such a thrill when you can see something that you, you know, you think you know, but then it's just completely new and completely foreign. So uh, that's really cool, I think. And that's one of the exciting things, at least for me, in terms of doing research. So we have the night portrait, the gondola maker, the last masterpiece, and you just teased us with a ream <laughs> of fabulous, what's next? So this next book that I'm writing about is, it takes place in a very closed setting. So some of the books that I've written are kind of epic in terms of where, the, in terms of the setting. The Night Portrait, for example, takes us from Italy to Poland, to Germany, to, you know, across Europe. And, um, you know, even my book, The Giant, which is about the creation of Michelangelo's David, still takes place in, this, in the city of Florence itself. But with this newest book, I wanted to create a very tight, claustrophobic setting. And the setting usually is the thing that comes first for me. And so this book is all uh, set inside the walls of a villa in Tuscany. And so it's one of the hiding places where the curators of the Uffizi galleries uh, hid some of their paintings during World War II to keep them out of, uh, out of the view of the Nazis or whoever might want to take them out of the city of Florence. And so it's been refreshing, a little bit of a palate cleanser from you know writing about a setting that's a bit more sweeping or, or epic to write a story that's a lot more contained around a few characters. Why are you so fascinated with this World War II I think when it comes to art history, there are just so many incredible stories of works of art that shifted from one location to the other. And like I mentioned earlier, there's so many stories about individual decisions and bravery and uh, resistance that are so story worthy. I mean, it just makes for such a dramatic story and backdrop for historical fiction. Um, but also, I think that it's 
fascinating to see what kind of adventures works of art go on long after they were made. You know, many of these artists like Botticelli, for example, could have never imagined that some of his masterpieces would have ended up in this very precarious situation uh, 500 years after they were created. And so it, that is a, um, an interesting thing. But also I think that a theme that threads through my work that is set during World War II is that art can provide uh, some hope in the face of despair. And that's, you know, a, a universal theme, I think, that we see uh, with these characters who worked so hard to preserve uh, books and musical instruments and works of art and buildings and important historical structures that may not have survived if it weren't for their efforts. I've heard you say in other interviews that um, humans are uniquely compelled to create. And uh, I, I loved the phrasing of that. You know, it's a uniquely human thing. What compels you to do this work? Because you have a, so, so many skills. You, you've taught, you've done so many various things. What's the compelling thing that makes you the storyteller and the voice for your characters? Well, I think that, you know, when it comes specifically to writing historical fiction, um, you know, we know so much about the specific historical context that we as historical novelists write about. And yet, the more we research, sometimes I think the, the more we realize that there are pieces missing. I, I like to think of writing historical fiction like one of those 1,000 piece puzzles that you dump out on the table. And, you know, if you imagine a box with half the a story in that way is that you can make up all of the missing pieces, uh, like, for example, uh, conversations that people had or other, other details, or you can answer questions that you can't actually answer um, in nonfiction. So, for example, for years when I studied art history, I always wanted to know why the Mona Lisa was never delivered to its patron. Well, an art historian is never going to be able to give you an answer to that academic question, but a novelist can, <laughs> and so that's what makes it fun. <laughs> We can make we can make stuff up, can't we? Yes, making stuff uh, up is awesome. <laughs> I agree. Um, I consider you quite prolific, but I have also heard you say some books have taken you twenty years in the making. Yes, it is, and I I feel it particularly painfully at the moment because I just finished this big project. Um, I've had my first book, The Gondola Maker, which you and I spoke about a little while ago, took me seven years to write. My first novel took me seven years. Uh, the Giant, which is the book I mentioned about Michelangelo's David, that one started out as a nonfiction book. And I actually put it away and pulled it out again and put it away and pulled it out and eventually decided to turn it into a novel instead but it was so difficult to wrangle. I kept trying to just not do it. I kept trying to put it in the drawer and forget about it, but um, you know, it wouldn't let me go. The story wouldn't let me go. And so 
uh, I finally finished it after 20 years as a novel. But you never know. I, th I, think, I think when you have a story inside that won't let you go, it means you have to write it. You have to get it out of your system somehow. Oh, I agree. And I think each of your books from everything I have read don't let you go either. They are compelling. They take you on heart-bumping adventures. And they teach us at the same time. Laura, thank you so much for being with me on the Storyteller's Microphone. Thank you. This was really fun, Grace. I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you'll come back when we get your 2024 release out. I'd love to. Take care, Laura, and thanks for being with us here on the Thank Storytellers. Thank you. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.